Welcome to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Weinbanks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations. As always, we want to thank you for listening to Intergenerational Politics. If you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. And we also have a website, intergenerationalpolitics.com. I'm Victor Shi. I'll be an incoming freshman next year at UCLA. I'm also the proud co-host of this podcast. And I'm Jill Weinbanks, Victor's co-host for this podcast and the author of The Watergate Girl, a memoir of my time as the only woman on the prosecution team for that case. I'm also an MSNBC contributor and will be joined today by my sisters-in-law from MSNBC. With a presidential race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden dominating the news, Jill and I worry that voters may lose sight of the importance of down-ballot races and the huge impact that those races can have on all of our lives. Who wins your state's legislature, governor, or your state's city's mayor is just as, if not more important than the legislation that gets passed in Washington, D.C., These down-ballot candidates will have the power to decide redistricting, whether women can have the reproductive rights that they deserve, whether the LGBTQ plus community will have equal rights in America, whether we will achieve racial justice, police reforms, safe gun laws, and so many other critical issues. You know, it may take some time to research to know about these candidates all the way down that long ballot of yours, but it makes a profound impact. So to help highlight how much of an impact that your vote has in this election, this episode of Intergenerational Politics will be different than our past episodes. It will feature attorneys, activists, and elected officials about why they think your vote for down-ballot candidates can impact the issues that you care most about. I voted yesterday, and I can say it does take longer to go through all the down-ballot races, but it's really important. To get started with this very special episode, I'm stepping out of my co-host role and putting myself in with my three MSNBC sisters-in-law. We are all lawyers and MSNBC contributors. The sister-in-laws include myself, Barbara McQuaid, who served as the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan during the Obama administration, and is now a professor at the University of Michigan Law School. Also, Kimberly Atkins, a lawyer who has my dream job because she's now a journalist. She is the senior opinion writer for the Boston Globe and, is also a member of their board of editors. The fourth member of the MSNBC sisters-in-law is Joyce Vance. She was the US attorney for the Northern District of Alabama from 2009 to 2017, and is now a law professor at the University of Alabama Law School. And I welcome them all as I turn over this segment's questions to my co-host, Victor, and step into my sister-in-law role. First, thank you so much all for being here. Um, let's get right into the discussion by kind of highlighting um, why this, why we're having the discussion. So right after the killing of George Floyd and when the protests um, began calling for racial justice and equality, we're just getting started. Um, President Obama wrote this really compelling Medium article that pointed out one of the reasons down-ballot races are so important. Um, in that article, he wrote, quote, the elected officials who matter most in reforming police departments and the criminal justice system work at the state and local level. And what I hope that um, you all will discuss today is that um, 
is all the other reasons why um, voting for all the candidates and referenda on the ballot is so important. So you all are basically the lead off to our discussion of this important conversation on down ballot voting. Um, so to get the conversation started, given your various areas of expertise, um, can each of you help my generation and um, all generations in between um, mine and Jill's generation learn about um, kind of the importance of down ballot races from the US Senate to mayor, village board member and state representatives. So I guess we can start with Joyce. Well, I'll just amplify your comments, Victor, about President Obama's uh, essay on medium, because that for me is one of the most important things that we see happening in down ballot races. We've all heard about this notion of reformer district attorneys, district attorneys who come in with new agendas, who are sensitive to issues involving racial injustice, mass incarceration, process sorts of issues in the criminal justice system, and it takes a, a duly elected district attorney to begin that reform. But it also requires that we have mayors who agree to fund these sorts of programs. Budgets are moral documents, and so we need to see our cities putting their money where it matters on these issues. And this spins out in races all across our state and local portions of the ballot. It's a really important reason to get out and vote beyond the presidential race. Mm -hmm. Kimberly, you want, do you want to go next? Yeah, I mean, all the races below the presidential uh, are super important. The closer, uh, the, the lower, quote unquote, the level uh, of an elected official, the more directly it affects your life. You know, I always say uh, when you're voting, what your local mayor or city council or town council or school board does will have a bigger impact on your everyday life than whatever happens in the Oval Office. Um, but all of those races are really important. I mean, take the U.S. Senate this year. The U.S. Senate uh, is up for grabs when it comes for which party uh, will control it. Um, there are enough open seats or enough contested seats for Democrats to be able to take control of the Senate. And that affects everything, uh, including the judiciary. We just saw a Supreme Court confirmation hearing. Members of the Senate uh, advise and consent in putting uh, justices on the U.S. Supreme Court and judges on the federal judiciary right down to the local trial courts that if somebody in your life or your family is, is facing a federal crime, they're going to go before somebody who was approved by the U.S. Senate. So that's one way that it comes all the way down. Right now, um, members of the Senate uh, and the House are negotiating another level of uh, coronavirus relief. And one of the biggest issues involved in that is funding for local cities and towns. So they're making these decisions in Washington. But if that money is issued to the local cities and towns, it is your mayors, it is your city councils that will decide uh, how testing is going to be available. Uh, they decide how much funding is going to go to long-term care facilities that we saw hit so hard uh, in this uh, in in this pandemic. So all of it is so related. And the people who are making decisions aren't just here in Washington where I am, they're right in your town. So it's really important to be aware and, and to have your voice heard uh, in who holds those positions. And Kim discussed the importance of positions like district attorney and mayor. Before we hear from Barbara and Jill, we actually have with us Mimi Roca, who is a past intergenerational politics podcast guest and is set to become the next district attorney of Westchester County, New York. Um, we also have with us state's, former state senator Daniel Biss, and currently he is running to become the mayor of Evanston, Illinois. So it made sense to interrupt the sisters-in-law discussion on down-ballot races to hear from Mimi and Daniel. Hi, I'm Mimi Roca. 
and I'm running for Westchester District Attorney. I'm the Democratic nominee and likely the DA-elect since my opponent has announced he's not really actively running. But I want to talk to you about voting and the importance of voting, not just at the top of the ticket for some of the races we hear about every day, president, senator, Congress, but all the way down the ticket, like for judges, DAs, um, other local and state officials. Because think about some of the issues that you care most about. Care about how immigrants and undocumented people in our community are treated. Do you care about criminal justice reform, police reform? Do you care about how the money in your local communities is spent by governments? These are the kinds of decisions that your down ballot, as they call it, uh, candidates decide. Yes, it's hugely important to vote for the top of the ticket, but a lot of the issues that you care about every day are decided by people at the local level. So make sure you vote all the way up and down the ballot. Now we're having a national reckoning right now on these fundamental questions about racial justice, policing, segregation, housing, the, the way in which the fabric of our society and the laws of our system have uh, reinforced white supremacy for many, many generations. This is finally a thing that we are beginning to talk about honestly, and there's a lot to deal with around those issues, included in what we have to deal with are fundamental questions of policy. How do we do public safety in a way that is actually equitable and does not target communities of color? How do we do housing in ways that does not reinforce segregation? What is the interaction between those housing policies and uh, education? These are important issues for us to discuss on every level, but they're issues where the most fundamental action gets taken at the local level. When we have an election, it's 15 days from the moment that you and I are recording this. Uh, the presidential election is quite possibly the most important vote that this country has taken since 1860. Um, but there are many thousands of other offices on the ballot. There are elections coming not long after, like for example, my election in April of 2021. And those elections will have an enormous impact on the actual way that we live with one another in our communities and the way that we solve these problems that have plagued us since this nation is founded. Now that we have an understanding of just how critical it is for positions like mayor or district attorney after hearing from Daniel and Mimi, let's resume our discussion with the sisters-in-law and hear from Barbara. Yeah, I agree with everything we've heard so far, but I would also add the importance of judicial races. <clears throat> this is an area on the ballot that many people don't know enough about, and it's really important for voters to educate themselves about judges because it really makes a difference who is there deciding issues in your local courts and in your state courts. Um, one of the things about um, judicial races is if your state has straight ticket voting, you can come in and vote straight Democratic Party or straight Republican Party. The, the judicial races are considered nonpartisan. And so there's a huge drop off in the number of votes cast for judges because people come in thinking they're gonna cast their vote for straight ticket and it ends up they've cast no vote at all when it comes to judges. And so it's really important that voters do their homework and learn about who these judges are because they can have huge impacts on what happens in your lives. So many of these issues, as Joyce talked about criminal justice reform, is occurring at the state level. Um, issues about choice are occurring at the state level. And because we've seen President Trump uh, nominate and this, this Senate confirm a huge number of judges, um, 
plaintiffs uh, who are interested in advocating progressive causes are now turning to state courts instead of going to the federal judiciary where we have a bench made up of Federalist Society members and instead going to the federal judiciary to bring these important cases that have such an important impact on our lives, LGBT rights issues. Um, and so it, it matters who is sitting on those benches throughout our country in those states at uh, every level. And so it's really important for voters to educate themselves about the candidates in judicial races and make sure they vote those races and not just straight ticket. And let's end with Jill. I just wanna note that there are um, resources available to voters about judges because that is the one place where people seldom know even lawyers don't know the judges. Unless you've appeared before them, how can you evaluate them? But there are always bar associations and other independent groups that will compile their records. And it's especially important when you have retention votes because they need 60% of the voters to approve their retention. And some are good, and we've seen this even at the federal level where uh, judges have been confirmed who the American Bar Association says are unqualified. So it is important to take the time to do that. But let's look at some of the other um, areas where down ballot matters. It matters all the way down to your local representative, to your state legislature. Uh, for example, redistricting is going to be happening this year and it's gonna be done at your state legislature. So you wanna make sure that you have the person representing you who you think will avoid partisan gerrymandering and make sure that your vote is protected, that you have an equal vote with someone in a different uh, district, that it's not um, done in an unfair way. Um, the other issues that have been mentioned, of course, are choice where it looks clear that um, we will have a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court after the confirmation that seems inevitable of Amy Coney Barrett. And so there will be choice issues, for example, coming down to the state courts and to the state legislatures where they're going to have to uh, decide whether a woman has a right to choice. Uh, police reform will happen at the local level. Mayors and city councils are the ones who are gonna be in charge of that. So those races become important. Um, gun laws, uh, to protect against violence in the streets. Very important in every state. Those will be done at a state level. Um, LGBTQ we haven't mentioned. And there is a risk at the federal level, depending on you know getting to the Supreme Court. You never know how a judge is going to vote. And many Republican appointed judges have turned out to be quite liberal um, so and surprised the person who appointed them. But right now it's not looking very good. And so in order to protect rights, it may turn to the state legislature. That's why voting there is important. Jill just mentioned a lot of the issues that can be and need to be protected on a local level if the Supreme Court starts to narrow those constitutional rights, such as police reform, women's reproductive rights, gerrymandering and democracy reform, LGBTQ plus rights and gun rights. We're now gonna hear from experts on each of those issues. First up, is David Litt, a former Obama speechwriter who has just released a new book called Democracy in One Book or Less. We're seeing a handful of Americans um, acquire an enormous amount of political power at the expense 
of the rest of us. Um, that's happening in a variety of ways. So one, I'd say there's three main ways we can level the playing field and give the, the rest of us um, our say back in our representative government. Number one, we need to make it easy for everyone who wants to vote and is eligible to vote to cast a ballot. Number two, uh, we need to make it so that everybody's vote counts equally to everyone else's as much as possible. Um, there aren't sort of people whose votes are incredibly strong and people whose votes are weak. Um, and then finally, we need to make it easier for a bill to become a law if it has popular support and the support of legislators. So all of those things have become harder rather than easier in my lifetime, which is now 34 years, um, but they should become easier rather than harder if we're gonna have the kind of representative democracy we need. One of the most important ways that our elections work is that we don't have one national election every two years or every four years. We have 50 small state elections, 51 if you count the District of Columbia. And the rules of each of those state, state elections are largely set by the state and local governments. So figuring out who gets to vote, um, you know, how well each polling place runs, how many poll workers are there, uh, how strict are the voting laws? Are we keeping people from voting because of some wild goose chase involving non-existent voter fraud? All of these issues are actually state and local issues. And the federal government can do a lot to help to set the direction, but A, you don't need the federal government to make a big difference. And B, even if the federal government um, is helping, the states can be the kind of laboratories to figure out how to help make democracy real for as many people as possible. Joining us now is Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action, which is a grassroots movement of Americans and moms fighting for public safety measures that protect people from gun violence. While we work toward meaningful federal legislation, like a background check on all gun sales, we have to keep the pressure on at state and local levels. And we've seen significant progress in state houses in red, blue, and purple states over the past few years. 22 states in Washington, D.C. have passed laws that require background checks. 19 states in Washington, D.C. have passed extreme risk legislation. And 29 states in Washington, D.C. have passed laws that keep guns away from domestic abusers. We've also seen important progress at an even more local level. Across the country, city officials have allocated funding in their budgets to support violence interruption programs. And we're working with school districts in places like Los Angeles and Phoenix to educate parents about how to securely store the firearms they own. So far, over a million families with school-aged kids have received this information through their school boards. We always say that advocacy is a marathon, not a sprint, and really Florida is the perfect example. For so long, it was called the Gunshine State, and that's because the gun lobby had so much control over Florida lawmakers. In fact, Florida was the NRA's Petri dish. Bad gun law after bad gun law used to just sail through state, state houses. But after the shooting in Parkland, Florida, lawmakers took swift action and they passed a red flag law. Soon after, over a dozen other states passed similar laws. But despite this progress, there is still so much work to be done and we need every generation to get involved in organizing. The voices and votes of young people matter a lot. And many of the issues young people care about are most directly impacted by mayors and governors and state representatives. And in some of these races, they're decided by just a handful of votes. So in addition to organizing, I also hope young people will consider running for office themselves. I'm really proud of the fact that 51 Moms Demand Action volunteer leaders are running for office this election cycle up and down the ballot. We must vote 
in every election in order to stem the tide of gun violence and then hold our elected officials accountable when they're in office. We now have with us Oren Jacobson, who co-founded and now serves as the co-executive director of Men for Choice, an organization that works to activate, educate, and mobilize male allies in the fight for reproductive freedom. So in many ways and in many places, Roe v. Wade is functionally irrelevant to many people's lives. So in the states where we have control, where Democrats, where pro-choice majorities exist, we have to expand rights and protections. That includes overturning the Hyde Amendment like we did in Illinois at the state level in 2017 when we passed House Bill 40 to make sure that low-income people have access to abortion through their Medicaid-provided insurance. That includes making sure that we define abortion as health care and a right in our state uh, in our state laws, like we did in Illinois with the Reproductive Health Act. I also think we need, to, we need to be concerned about two other things. Number one, especially in places where we don't have, you know, control of state legislatures, um, beyond the need to win down ballot races to start to chip away at that and be able to protect and then hopefully one day expand rights and access in those places. We need to make sure that the local organizers and community community groups, abortion funds, networks that provide support uh, for people who need abortion have the resources that they need to do the critical work that they're doing. Often locally based community organizers helping people get from point A to point B and navigating a really complicated and difficult system, and especially in states that are hostile to abortion, which by the way is 60% of the states in the country. We need to make sure that those groups have resources and funding that those people are supported. Oftentimes, those are women of color-led organizations, and so we've got to drive resources to those networks. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind, though, is that in, in, in a lot of cases, in our, in our low-income communities, um, in, in rural communities, in our black and brown communities that have been intentionally disinvested from uh, thanks to systemic racism, we need to make sure that our local officials and our, our state officials are ensuring access to healthcare period and that any funding that is provided, any tax cuts or any, uh, support, of, any support from the state require that full reproductive healthcare is included in those healthcare facilities. And so the, the state governments are going to need to make sure that we have uh, we have healthcare facilities located throughout each state. And the reason that's so complicated is because in many states, you see religious-based institutions gobbling up our hospitals. And so that also means that in those areas, there is no access to abortion because they refuse to uh, on religious grounds. And so states and localities are going to have to make sure that people in those areas have access to full reproductive health care through healthcare facilities that are going to provide full reproductive health care. Our next guest is Karen Freeman Wilson. She has the perfect background for this episode. She was the former mayor of Gary, Indiana, the former attorney general of Indiana, and is the current president and CEO of the Chicago Urban League. She's also a fellow member of the Chicago Network. I think that it's really important to highlight the decisions that are made as a result of down-ballot races. At the Chicago Urban League, we divide our work between programming, 
policy and research and really being a thought leader or a convener in the community and specifically in the black community. And what we found is that we have worked closely with local, state, and county government. We do some work and we're starting to work with the federal government, but there are so many things that get done um, without any direct involvement by the federal government. Certainly there is funding that sometimes comes from the federal government and there are other regulatory or parameters set by the federal government. But at the end of the day, a lot of the work that we do come as a result of our work with either the city, the county, or the state. And what I used to say when I was the mayor is that we don't have the luxury of not seeing our constituents. And of course, I used to love to see mine, but you know, we're not in Washington or somewhere away from constituents. We see them in the grocery store. You know, I used to see mine at the YWCA every morning. We see them in church or synagogue or some other uh, public place that we might frequent in our communities. And as a result of that, it certainly makes us more responsive. And quite frankly, it makes us innovative, even in the face of not having the federal support that we need. Next up is Molly Pinta, a 14-year-old bisexual freshman at Stevenson High School, where Victor was a student until last June. Um, she runs a nonprofit called BG Pride that highlights, celebrates, and normalizes the LGBTQ community in her town. Molly and her family have thrown two parades in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, and she is the proud ambassador for the Human Rights Campaign. Molly, while you're too young to vote now, how important do you think down-ballot candidates are when it comes to defending LGBTQ plus rights? They are important because um, those such as the ones where like um, LGBT history would be taught in the classroom, that's not like, that's like a lower level. That's not like federal level. That's not like something that would be at the federal level. So like, and that's obviously a very important issue to be taught in schools. And I'm, I stand for that a lot. And then the locker room policy for transgender students to be able to use the locker room that they are most comfortable in is also at a lower level. Um, and that's why it's so important because um, bills like those will really show um, LGBTQ youth that they are supported by like their local leaders. Whether it's LGBTQ plus rights or gun reform, the mayors, district attorneys, state representatives that you elect will have a direct impact on all of those issues and more. Now let's return to our sisters-in-law to discuss some other policies down-ballot candidates are in a unique position to take action on. Let's get a little bit deeper um, into kind of those issues. We're kind of fresh off of Amy Coney Barrett's um, uh, testimony to uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, and she talked a lot about, or I guess she was asked a lot about um, the Affordable Care Act, and there's a lot of kind of discussion right now as to whether um, that'll be striked down if she gets appointed to the Supreme Court. So um, I guess for any of you, um, how important is the Affordable Care Act on a state and local level? Like, is there anything that governors or state legislatures can do to protect um, the Affordable Care Act? 
Absolutely. I mean, the way that the Affordable Care Act is set up, uh, the way that it was ideally supposed to be run, was that uh, health exchanges were supposed to be created on a state level by state legislators. Uh, state legislatures and governors. And some states did that. You know, some states like Massachusetts, where the, uh, the, the law is based upon, the federal law is based on the Massachusetts law, uh, did do that. States make choices to do things like uh, whether they're going to expand Medicaid. But a lot of states also made the choice not to do that. And that resulted in a lot of people using the federal exchange in order to go purchase their health care. This was made to be sort of a backup system. Uh, but so many states used that or refused to set up their own systems that it forced people into this federal exchange uh, that didn't work. It wasn't set up to be the main uh, way that people could access healthcare. And that resulted in uh, prices going up, options being limited. Uh, I personally had to sign up for the federal exchange for a while when I didn't have employer covered healthcare because I lived in a state that didn't set up that system. And as a consumer, it was awful. And it was a direct contrast to if I lived in a state like Massachusetts that had a much better system, much better options, and they were much more affordable. So it again, that it's a big uh, state issue and local issue to touch on. And I just want to make another point too, that to things like judicial elections, where there are resources available, where you may not know who these candidates are, I realize it's going to be hard sometimes to cast votes in local races, particularly at a time where local media is is really being decimated. We're seeing local newspapers shrink and disappear, a lack of resources for local television and radio stations. So unlike the national race, where we hear so much about Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump, you don't always know who is running for your local state uh, uh, official, local state office. And that puts the onus on the voter to go figure that out and try. And so it is a lot of work, but it is that important. You should do it because it's important that you have a say in so many of these issues, including healthcare, as Victor pointed out. There's an awful lot of information out there. Most of these candidates have a website where you can yeah. learn about what issues matter to them. Um, many uh, local newspapers, to the extent local news still exists in your community, We'll do voter guides um, where they'll list who has endorsed that person. And so endorsement of bar associations, as Joyce says, is very important. They'll tell you a little bit about their experience. Uh, you know, you can look and see whether this person has, has practiced law before and for how long and in what capacity. So uh, there are a lot of ways you can educate yourself before you walk into the voting booth or, um, you know, if you're voting from home by mail, you've got the luxury of time of looking things up as you go. So I really urge people to do that. Those races are really incredibly important. You know, when we talk about the judicial races, which are so incredibly important for a lot of different reasons, and we've heard reference to states where the races aren't political and states where it's a retention vote, not a vote to select the judge. I live in Alabama where these are ranked political races to select judges, so a little bit of a different flavor. But something that happens here is that the state bar associations and the county bar associations will often issue guides talking about who the judges are and what cases that they've been involved in. Often they'll survey their members and, and the membership of the bars will vote to give judges qualified or not qualified ratings for these state election races. So make sure you, you look at those kind of resources. I happen to be married to a state court judge and I know the closer it gets to the election, the more he gets flooded with requests from friends and neighbors. Tell me about this race. 
And I think it's exciting to see people educating themselves about the judicial races and taking them seriously. So don't hesitate to reach out to friends you have that are lawyers or, or judges or people that work in county government and ask them for their advice. Really go the extra mile to educate yourself about these races. Um, the other day I was having a conversation and someone asked me, do I have to go all the way down? And I was like, yes, of course you do. Um, but, you know, for many students, they look at the ballot and it's like it goes so far down and they're like, do I even have to vote for the judge, the you know, my mayor, um, when it has such little impact? Although we know that it has a big impact after, after um, this discussion. But I guess what would you tell your students um, or any young person who may look at their ballot and be a little bit overwhelmed? So we have these conversations a lot where I live because we do tend to have these very long ballots and they even go into amendments to the state constitution and they're very complicated and difficult to figure out based on just a quick read if you're for it or against it. And so what I tell my students is that they need to approach the ballot like they would approach an examination. This is something that you study for. It's something that you take seriously. The person that you don't want to be is the person who a year and a half down the road is saying, well, why did my mayor just cut this particular service? Or why don't we have a police chief who's more accountable? You don't want to be that person. You want to be the voter who's taken responsibility for your role in the community and who has voted in every last race, because I promise you they all matter. Yeah, and I would add to that, I think for college students sometimes, particularly if they're voting where they're going to school, they may not feel as invested in the local issues because they are more transient. But think of it this way, something like transportation, something that a lot of people care a lot about, uh, a light rail system being installed in a place that could make it easier for students to get around, get it easy, make it easier for people to work. That's something that's very tangible um, to, to students and their ability to, to have the educational experience that they have. And that is affected by a local level. Um, there was a, an initiative where I live not too long ago for a light rail system that was voted down. Um, and that would have really made a difference in, in for businesses, for students, for people who don't own cars or automobiles, for the environment. And that was all handled at a local level. And so knowing this and having a say in that right down to the, the board of trustees for your college or, or university, those are local races too. Um, so they really do affect you even if you're voting in a place. I remember when I was a student, I went to Boston um, and I didn't really know anything about how it worked, but you had to educate yourself and really figure out that for that time that you're a student there, these issues are important and they will affect you. Yeah, I see students who are really passionate and participate in protests and uh, are involved in student organizations about things like climate change, LGBTQ rights, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and all of these issues are controlled at the local level. And so um, the most, you know, advocacy is great, but a way they can really take action is by voting. And they need to educate themselves to understand which races are going to have an impact on these issues and which races, uh, which candidates are the ones who are going to take action that is consistent with their views on these issues. Um, I know I have, and many of my colleagues have canceled classes on election day, um, and we're urging our students to take action that day, whether it is uh, going to vote uh, or uh, if they're voting by mail, they can work at the polls that day or do some voter protection work that day or drive people to the polls who need uh, rides. Um, and so being um, participants in democracy is incredibly important. And so um, it is 
no less important for students. And if, uh, if you wanna be passionate advocates for causes, here's a chance for you to take action. There's nothing to add to what my three sisters-in-law from MSNBC have said and said so beautifully. Um, although I will note that um, there was for the first time a mention of the environment and climate change which is one of those things that states can have a huge impact on. Think of California and all that it has done to uh, tighten up rules and regulations to protect our environment. Um, so once again, the total package that was delivered to you today really does summarize why everyone has to go out and vote from the president all the way down to whatever the referendum um, in Illinois, we have a fair tax amendment that is pending uh, to our constitution to allow a proportional tax instead of just a flat rate. Uh, these are all important issues and people should be informed on them. Do some research. You have the internet. All you have to do is do a little bit of search and we will post some other resources for you to look at some of these issues. And I can't thank my sisters-in-law enough for taking the time to do this. I love you all. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Now that we've heard from such a fantastic panel, we want to highlight a few more issues that Jill and I think down-ballot candidates could impact. Now we have Frank Fergluzzi, who is an MSNBC columnist and a national security contributor for NBC and MSNBC. He was the FBI's assistant director for counterintelligence, where he served 25 years as a special agent and directed all espionage investigations across government. He is also the author of The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. Frank, I want to ask you about domestic terrorism, specifically what happened to Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer. 13 people plan to get, kidnap her, transport her to Wisconsin, put her on trial, and then execute her. Seven of the 13 people were indicted by the state, and federal charges were brought against the other six. In the face of radical groups that escalate violence and heighten tension, how important are those who are elected on the state and local levels to respond to situations like this one? Uh, that's a great question, because I, I don't think that question specifically has been explored enough. And, and here's why. This was a takedown that involved state, local, county and federal law enforcement partnering together in a task force concept in really a life threatening situation. And so if we have leadership at those lower levels of our governments that don't get it, that actually are aligned with the kind of radicalizing rhetoric that comes out of the White House, we risk the possibility that these kinds of imminent threats won't be taken seriously. And we need to address as a nation the gap between domestic terrorism and international terrorism. And that's going to require legislation. Um, someone like Amy, Senator Amy Klobuchar has co-sponsored legislation and others that help close the gap. Many Americans don't realize that there is no such thing as a law against domestic terrorism. And you say, well, what's the big deal with that? The big deal with that is it, without having that law, without the ability to designate domestic terrorist organizations, um, you, have the, you, you lack the tools in law enforcement, the very same tools that you would use instantly for an international terrorism case. You lack the ability to get out in front proactively, get inside chat rooms, use undercover agents, um, use informants early in the process, which many of us call left of boom, before something explodes. So you ask about the relevancy between 
you know, this violent threat and the election and down ballot voting, these Congress members, these members of the Senate are going to be the people that are going to have to address this legislatively. And if they stick their head in the sand and pretend that we don't have such a problem, then this, will, this gap between domestic and international terrorism will never get addressed. Joining us now is another past intergenerational politics podcast guest, Lee Gallant, who is the deputy director of the ACLU's Immigration Rights Project. We'll discuss the importance of down-ballot races and how they can protect immigrant rights and policies promulgated on the federal level. I, mean, I just start by saying that the ACLU doesn't take positions on candidates, we're nonpartisan. But more generally, um, I think on the federal level, if there is a Congress that is willing to push back on all of these immigration policies that have been enacted over the four years, that's gonna be essential. Everything from a legalization policy to helping the dreamers to any one of a number of things it would be great to have legislation. At the state level, it's also critical because what we've seen over the years is states now enacting anti-immigrant measures. Um, and the ACLU has been fighting those. So we absolutely need people at the state levels not to be enacting anti-immigrant measures to pull back on those, but also to be enacting pro-immigration measures. There's lots of things that states can do, localities can do to make life easier for immigrants. And we'd like to see that happen. So I absolutely think it's essential, not just the presidential election, how it's gonna affect immigration, but as you said, down, down ballot, because a lot of anti-immigrant policies are being enacted at the local level. We're seeing our police uh, law enforcement trying to act as aides to ICE. We don't wanna see that happening so that they're terrorizing local immigrant communities, unnecessarily denying immigrant communities benefits. So there's lots of proactive things that can be done as well as prevent these anti-immigrant measures. To help us conclude this discussion on the importance of down-ballot races, we are so honored to be joined by Amanda Lippman, who is the co-founder and the executive director for Run for Something, and also served as Hillary Clinton's email director, which are not the emails that Donald Trump and Republicans are trying to still dig up. Welcome, Amanda. And I, I want to talk about your organization, Run for Something. It's tremendous for our country and perfect for this episode because it seems as if your sole mission is to recruit and support young, diverse progressives to run for down-ballot races in order to build sustainable power for Democrats in all 50 states. Can you discuss how significant down-ballot candidates are and how they can impact our lives as much as who gets elected in Washington, D.C.? Local offices are quite literally life or death. Um, when you think about things like your clean water, um, whether your streets are paved, whether your community is safe, um, the criminal justice system, the environmental programs within your state, your education system, you know, the constitution is pretty explicit here. There's enumerated powers for Congress and for the presidency and Supreme Court. Everything else is left to the states and localities. I think people forget there are half a million elected offices in the United States, and most of them are not Congress and not the president. They're things like city councils and school boards and library boards, where, which is where most people actually interact with government. 
So on the issues that we care about, on things like reproductive choice and unions and the minimum wage and voting rights and LGBTQ rights and healthcare, any issue you can imagine, it starts and can often end uh, in these local offices, which most people aren't paying attention to. For any young person out there who may wonder how they can take that first step in running for office, what advice would you give them as they embark on this seemingly like daunting journey? It is daunting and it's really hard and I never want to bullshit someone and pretend that it's easy or glamorous or exciting. It is difficult. And if you are thinking about it, you should do it. Now, the first step is to think about what is the problem you want to solve and what office would give you a platform to solve it. Because you're going to need to answer the question, why are you running over and over and over and over again? So being able to answer that will give your campaign a North Star. From there, if you sign up with Run for Something, we can help you figure out the next steps. Because ultimately, when you break a campaign down, it's not rocket science. It's having a reason for running, talking to voters about that reason, and then getting them to show up at the polls. There are tactics involved. There are ways to make it more efficient. But especially for local races, you will win or lose based on how hard you're willing to work, not necessarily about how much money you're willing to raise. So it is both absolutely doable and achievable. And Run for Something has helped elect more than 300 people in the last three years, all under 40, uh, across 45 states, predominantly women, predominantly Black, Indigenous people of color, um, who are amazing, and none of whom were politicians until they put their names on the ballot. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Intergenerational Politics. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. Thanks so much. See you in our next episode.